everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. And we're still talking repeats because <gasps> the Olympics are over. Yay. Dateline gave us a new episode. Yay. It's about a dead child. <laughs> so no, we're not doing that one. It's great. It's about the justice system and how it f- has failed. And Lester Holt is the host. So it's Ooh. fascinating. It's great. But we just... No. But I highly recommend everyone watching it. It's very good. But we will not be covering it. And I think you guys understand. Well, it's not really our lane. But still, highly recommend watching. Great episode. Of course. Yeah. Well, I recommend watching every episode, obviously. Because if we're not covering it, it doesn't mean it's not good. It just means... No. No, no. We maybe aren't the ones to tell that story. Yeah. Lester is the one to tell that story. There you go. So instead, we're talking about Vendetta. Yes. I'm going to call it Vendetta, parentheses, V4, because I think that that should be the title. V4? V for Vendetta. Doesn't that sound like that's what it should be? That There is a movie. Co- you know there's a movie, right? That's why. Hmm. What about Vendetta, Texas Justice? Yeah, oh, I like that. Because V for Vendetta just makes me think of like New York or Europe. It's too like swanky. You got to like. We're in Texas, Texas. Or like, I don't know. Okay. No, I get it. I was trying to think of another like cowboy word that starts with V. I got nothing. We'll get there by the end. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know why I skipped to titles. I skipped to our very last thing at the very beginning. I'm all over the place. So <laughs> this episode is season 23, episode 22. You can watch it on Peacock. What's the sound Peacock makes? <laughs> is that a Peacock? I really hope so. Sounded like a baby with colic, but I'll take it. Oh, I think that's how all my birds sound. I'm not good at the birds. <laughs> no, it wasn't bad. It's just not as A-list as most of your, like, it's not as good as your duck, for example. Well, that it's not a real duck, though. The duck tops everything. Hold on. <coughs> oh, that was very accurate, actually. Hey! Look at that. Hey! There we go. Peacocks sound like a baby with colic. It wasn't. It wasn't like that. There we go. This first aired on February 27th, 2015, hosted by our queen, Andrea. Yay! She tells us that the courthouse is the moral center of every town, to which I said, have you ever watched Dateline, Andrea? But not these guys. These guys all seemed great. They were not like, Manitowoc County, guys. We are in Kaufman, Texas, which means the crimes and the hats are bigger. Oh, yeah. And we see Lester Holt on the news talking about one of these events. And so it's Dateline Inception, which is always weird when that happens. A lot in this episode. Yeah. A lot of like NBC affiliate coverage type stuff. Yeah. Mark Hassey has prosecuted some of the worst criminals in Texas. And we meet his former partner, Marcus Bush. And Andrea says that he and Mark were young guns. So they are either cowboys with Emilio Estevez or she means that they were young lawyers prosecuting people. I'd like to think it was the first thing. Wanted. Dead or alive. Have you ever seen Young Guns? Never. Me neither. But they worked in organized crime together. P.S. Has anyone watched organized crime with Elliot Stapler? Law and Order or OC, I guess we're calling it. Where? It was on this past year. 
It's a show? It's a show, Law and Order, Organized Crime, or as I'm calling it, Law and Order OC. It is a spinoff with Stabler. Got it. How have you never heard of this? Because you don't have cable. I don't have TV. It's incredible. Is it good? It stars Elliot Stabler. I got that part. <laughs> Thank you. And he's super good looking. And Dylan McDermott. It's great. He's supposed to be good looking too. They're both extreme. They're, they basically try to one up. Are they partners? No. Dylan McDermott's a bad guy. They're trying to basically out handsome each other. He's the mob guy? Yeah. Takes place in New York? Yeah. He is Elliot Stabler. So Benson is in it sometimes too. Are they together? No. But there are many hints about it. Oh. Let's just say there's a lot happening there. How fun. That was total sidebar back to the case. Mark Cassie, he loved sweets and he loved flying. And he even was in a plane crash and got right back on that plane. And not that plane, that plane was crashed, but he got back on that horse, so to speak, which I found incredible. Like You're just going to zoom over the fact how much he liked candy? Because we have never had it pointed to so hard. He liked candy. He liked sweets so much. Like he stole people's candy in the office and they thought it was funny. He was a Katie sweets person. It's a Katie. He's a Katie monster. I was really excited. Also, these are the sort of things that you don't get in a one hour episode. But they're like, it's a two hour episode. Let's talk about his sweet tooth for five minutes. There we go. And I loved it. (laughs) There is a new district attorney in town named Mike McClellan. And he and Mark bonded. Mark and Mike became very good friends. They worked in the same office. Mike's wife, Cynthia, baked sweets that Mark would steal and quilts for the office. Very sweet. She was a nurse, but she hung around the office and like was their mom. It was very cute. Happy office. Everyone got along. Then on January 31st, 2013, 9 a.m., everything changed. There's a cop who is investigating a burglary when he hears this slow and methodical gunshots. And it's coming from outside the courthouse in the town square. Mark, the prosecutor, has been shot walking into work. And we see the dash cam footage a lot from the cop. Yeah. And it's very intense. We're seeing a woman who saw the shooting from her car and she jumped out to do CPR on Mark. So she's like a hero. Yeah. She's a civilian who just is like going at it, CPR. And then we see the cops talking to Mark, kind of like, hang on, Mark. We're cut. Like we hear the whole thing. It's very hard to watch. And I'm kind of glad Dateline doesn't include this more often because it's very intense. And all the other lawyers that worked with Mark are watching from their office building all the commotion on the street. And they're realizing that it's Mark and it's just devastating for them. Awful. We find out that Mark didn't make it. Now, since he was a high profile prosecutor, law enforcement is swarming, including Lieutenant Julie Stewart, who basically tells us we didn't have time to grieve. We didn't have time to talk about our feelings. Get to work. And I think we all agree we need Julie Stewart in our lives because she would be like, there's no time for feelings, Kimberly. Stop crying about that cow on Instagram that loves to have his hair brushed. Get back to work. (laughs) And she would knock the phone out of my hand. And I'd be like, but he's on Instagram and he loves to have his hair brushed. He's on the gram. She's like, no time for feelings. I'm sorry. Do we find out at Mark's personal life at all? He is single, unmarried, no children. Hmm. Does he live by himself? Yes, but he helped take care of his mother. 
We find that out in a little bit. I feel like then he probably worked a ton if he was single. So like probably everyone in that office, like, I don't know. You know how there's some people that you see around the office and you don't really talk to. And then there are the people that like. No, this was a close knit office. Right. Close knit group. And it's a small town. So everyone knew Mark and everyone knew everybody. Oh, imagine watching it from a window. Oh, just horrifying. Witnesses say the shooter jumped into a getaway car that was being driven by someone else. So two people are involved. And we know that memories are faulty when people see something happen. There's also some car blindness involved. Hashtag find a cure because some people thought it was silver, the car. Some people thought it was tan, which are not similar at all. Split the difference. Champagne. There we go. That's good. Most people agree it was a sedan of some sort. Maybe a Ford Taurus? Unsure. No license plate. This is all more information than I would have given. So I would have been like, it was, it had wheels. It was moving. That's, it could have been a horse-drawn carriage, but it had wheels. That's all I know. You would know like if it wasn't a pickup. Maybe. So you could just list things that it wasn't. It wasn't black and it wasn't a pickup. Okay. You could. I'm just saying, if this happens to you in the future, just start saying what it isn't so that it's not obvious. What it isn't. And then it sounds like more information. I gotcha. I start listing all the colors on the rainbow. There you go. Just go down the list. It wasn't red. I know it wasn't orange. And if you're thinking it was yellow, officer, it was not yellow. If you play your cards right, you can exhaust the officer enough that he just won't ask you any more questions about the car. (laughs) Drag that out, Kimberly. All of your improv skills. Just drag it out. I'm writing this down for when this ever happens to me. Because I want to be helpful, but I know inherently I will not be helpful. I will not be. But telling him that it's not a pickup is technically helpful. That's true. They won't be looking for a truck. I'm more like I really want to be helpful and I might start imagining things of what it is so that I will be helpful and then I will be lying by accident because I will be just trying to be helpful. I don't think you do that because I think if you did it, you'd immediately be like, no, 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 I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just imagining that. Yeah, I think you'd I think you'd backtrack. I watch a lot of Dateline, sir. I know sometimes people imagine things because they're trying to be helpful. Did you hear about the experiment with the bunnies and the children? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You got to get a pamphlet printed up. You could just pull it out of your back pocket. Can I interest you in a scientific experiment? If we have any new listeners, I've mentioned this scientific experiment with children and bunnies like 18 times on the show. And zebras. There's another one. I think horses, not zebras. So good. Okay. So the shooter was wearing a black hoodie pulled down over their face. So no one got a good look at the face. A witness heard the victim's last words, which were, no, no, I'm sorry. And they saw a shoving match, which makes it seem like it's very personal and someone that Mark knew. All of the lawyers are terrified, like they're next. They are on lockdown. Security is escorting them everywhere. They're terrified. District attorney Mike McClellan talks to the media about his good friend, Mark. I loved him. He has like the butt chin and he has a giant cowboy hat on the news and he says basically in essence 
We're searching every warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, dog house in this radius. If you're out there, we will find you <laughs> and kick your A. He says, we will find you in whatever hole you're in and drag you out. And we are going to bring you in and let the people prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. I loved it. He's good TV. He's almost like exactly what you picture as that part, except maybe not the DA. Maybe it would be the sheriff he was playing. Yeah. I think every town, like I'm sure my sheriff, whoever it is, is great. I think he should have a cowboy hat and be Southern. Like I think all sheriffs should be Southern and Texas. I think it helps. Yeah. Not all towns have sheriffs too. City doesn't have a sheriff. A town has a sheriff. How does that work? I'm going to sound really dumb. Let's stop talking. No, that's a difficult. Yeah, we're going to stop talking. So as we go to commercial, Andrea is asking the lawyer friend, the one of the young guns, who about suspects. And the young gun says, well, Mark put away people that were being paroled out. And Andrea says, anyone in particular? And he just stares at the camera with his lips pursed for like a good 10 seconds. And then we go to commercial and it was so dramatic. I loved it. And later when we come back from commercial and see that interview, we don't get that part. Uh. It was a good teaser dateline. And then we never saw it again. Everyone who worked with Mark said they're terrified. They all started wanting to carry guns. They're all completely panicked. There is an all-star army of law enforcement that are all working together at a command center. We have local police. We have FBI candy. We have Texas Rangers, which means we are getting a large array of huge cowboy hats in different colors, various styles, and different curves of the brim, so to speak. Loved it. I knew it. This is now we should let people we don't have to let people know. I'm going to let people know I chose this one for us to do today, which is rare. And that was part of the reason that I thought you might enjoy it. I know you love a command center. Yes. When all of the people are coming together to form some sort of a squad or a team plus cowboy hats. Yes. But you don't think I had not seen this episode. I thought that maybe you'd forgotten it. No, but. Oh, I didn't necessarily remember the cowboy hats, but I remembered most of it. The Specifically, the image that always comes to my brain when I think of this episode is the dash cam footage. For some reason, it's those like 30 seconds of dash cam footage that stay with you. The lady doing CPR. Yeah. She's a hero. We never find out her name even. And not all heroes have names. That's beautiful. She didn't do it for the recognition or the glory. She did it. Citizens do not accept gifts for being citizens. <laughs> Dwight Schrute. Two big lawyers from Dallas are assigned to be special prosecutors, Toby Shook and Bill Worski. I don't remember which one's which, but I do remember that when they're walking down the hall, they're like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in twins in terms of height. And it was adorable. Bill is yellow tie. Okay. And Toby is purple tie. And they are wearing almost identical ties in that they're both diagonal in the exact same width and length. Just one's yellow, one's purple. Interesting. Do you think they coordinated? Do you think their wives helped them coordinate? Like bought them matching ties? If I had to guess, one or both of them brought several ties and they held them up together and were like, oh, okay, let's do this. Bro, bro, high five. We'll match. 
I don't, they're maybe not bro guys, but I'd like for them to high five. Bud. Bud. I don't know. Chief. I don't know. Chief. Pal. Buster. I don't know. Yeah. I can't figure it out. Something like that. So Mark had prosecuted hundreds of cases. They think it might have been revenge on one of these cases. So they look at all the local cases. There's drug cases, robberies. There's even an elected official who stole office equipment. They look into everything. They don't find anything. They assume then that it must be someone from Dallas, which is the big city, which is like Dallas is to Kaufman as Las Vegas is to a small town outside of Vegas. And so some of these people that they put away in Dallas in organized crime got paroled out recently. They got life sentences and they might have been paroled out recently. So they look into them. They can't really find anything. They look into Mark's family. That's when we find out he doesn't have kids. It was either his mom or they still have nothing. So they still have nothing because we don't think it's his mom. We see his memorial. It's very sad. The young gun friend and Mike McClellan, the district attorney, they both speak. Mike actually backs out of the investigation because he's so close to Mark and he lets everyone else handle it. They think it might be organized crime like Elliot Stabler, like Dylan McDermott's team, Mm. like a Mexican drug cartel or a prison gang. And there's the third charming alternative to those, which is the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas. Now, I was today years old when I learned that white supremacists had gangs by state. Oh, yeah. Because I thought they were just all white supremacists. But you could be an Aryan Brotherhood of California. You could be in the Aryan Brotherhood of Rhode Island. And maybe they have nationwide conferences where you send delegates from each state. I don't know how it works. Isn't it like a rotary? Is it like the Kiwanis Club? Yeah, they have their own individual sect. Yeah, unsure if cities have them and then it goes to municipality and then it goes to statewide. And then maybe you get a certain number of delegates based on how many citizens are in that state. I really hope not. Like a representative situation or is it like a senator and you get two regardless? We don't know. I'm sorry, the Congress of the Aryan Nation, is that what you're trying to figure out? No. I'm trying to understand a little more of the process without shaving my head and doing a deep dive undercover into the organization. Don't Google it. I don't feel like I would be well accepted. I don't feel like they would accept me. They had been threatening to get even because 34 white supremacists had just been indicted in the state of Texas and the Kaufman County prosecutors had helped in that case. So it's been seven weeks since Mark's murder. And there's another murder. Dun, dun, dun. Someone else that's not me is going to tell you all about it. Surprise! It's Oliver. I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. (laughs) That would be so amazing. It's Ulysses. It's Ulysses. Meow, meow, meow. Meow, meow, meow. Nazi supremacists. Okay, so the police are trying to figure out who or what group organized the assassination of Mark Hassie, but some other crimes against higher-ups in the criminal justice system start happening. And our first crime is in Colorado. So where is Colorado in relationship to Texas, Kimberly? Left and up. Cool. Facing the map. 
if you're looking at the map, I mean, not if you're maybe standing in Texas. I bet I don't. I don't consider Colorado being anywhere near Texas. How far away is it? That I don't know. It's almost touching it. The only thing that makes it not touch is that little handle on Oklahoma. Wow, that is shocking to me. That's shocking to me too, but that makes a lot more sense now. So here we go. This is why we're interested in Colorado. Tom Clemens, who is the head of the Department of Corrections, this is a bigwig, he's head of the prison system in all of Colorado, and he is shot right at his front door. So the lead suspect in the shooting of Tom Clemens is somebody named Evan Abel, who is a member of the Colorado white supremacist prison gang. This is how I think they must all know each other. There must be nationwide conventions. I don't know how many. I'm hoping there aren't a ton of members, so they are all mildly aware of each other. I think you'd be very surprised. Uh, Yeah, I really am going to keep to that thought because it's painful, but I am aware that it's more than I would like it to be, which is zero. So Evan Abel is our main suspect. They don't tell us how they get to him. Somehow they figure out it's him. Evan goes on the run and he is pulled over by a sheriff on his run who doesn't know that he's actually a suspect in this murder case. He's just pulling him over because his plates are incorrect. He has some sort of a plate violation and he shoots the officer in the face and drives away. And Andrea's like, as you're about to see, but then they go to a black screen. So thank God we don't actually have to see it. But we do see dash cam footage of him like on the ground and Evan peeling out. But the officer does live. Thank God. One good thing. So Evan peels out, gets chased all the way down to Wise County, Texas. That's what lets us know that Texas is close enough to Colorado, where there's a crazy violent shootout. We don't get a ton of details. And Evan actually dies in this big shootout in the middle of the street. But this shootout happens. Wise County is only 100 miles from where the Hassey murder takes place. So now the police are looking for any connection between Evan, the suspect, white supremacist suspect who dies, and Mark Hassey's murder. Why was he going down to Texas? Was he going to meet with his other Aryan nation brothers down there? Delegates. Exactly. We don't know. So they test Evan's gun. And it turns out that the bullets were a match to the kind used in Mark Hassey's murder, but it's not the same gun. How that works, not sure. Is it just the same brand of bullets? Don't know. (laughs) It's going to be important later. Yeah. Because the bullets become extremely important later. So I don't think the, I'm guessing it's just the same kind of bullet. Anyways. There might be markings that a certain gun gives a certain bullet, but it doesn't say that it's that serial number of that particular gun, just that kind of gun. I'm not sure about the forensics. Me neither. But none of that matters because the main thing is, is there's no way that Evan could have been in Texas at the time of the murder. Can I interrupt with a joke? It seems that white supremacist was a red herring. It's lovely. Eh? Well, that was all a big waste of time. It's basically a complete dead end. Speaking of dead ends, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about Pros, 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 pros. So most of you have probably already heard me sing the praises of pros, which is the world's most personalized hair care. And for anyone who somehow hasn't, I want to tell you about the incredible results that I have been seeing since I started using 
Pros products over a year ago. I love Pros. I've used Pros in California and in Pennsylvania. And with Pros' review and refine feature, I was able to change up my formulas based on my new address and change of climate. Isn't that incredible? Science. Science, exactly. Pros knows that there is more to you than just your hair type. Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how I got started. The quiz is very, very detailed going into factors such as weather, diet, the thickness of one strand of an individual hair. It's incredible. They analyze over 85 personal factors and determine a unique blend of ingredients to treat your exact concerns. And Pros recently launched custom hair supplements that help your hair grow longer, stronger, and thicker in 90 days. So anybody with hair that is starting to thin or just a bad haircut that you really want to grow out, if you cut bangs in 2020, these supplements might for you. We've all had that regret. Give you some more bang for your buck. Yeah. No more tears over bangs. You can have pros instead. All is not lost. Exactly. I use my specially formulated shampoo, conditioner, hair oil, and pre-shampoo treatment on a daily. And in case of the pre-shampoo treatment, I use that on a weekly basis. Now, it may sound odd to use a conditioning treatment right before you shampoo, but the pre-shampoo treatment is incredible. You put it on your dry hair before you get in the shower, and it makes such a difference if I use it just once a week or even once every two weeks. Like It makes my hair shinier, smoother, softer, and it feels stronger, which with my heavily damaged hair, that's a real bonus. And if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take all the products back, no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Get your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash date dateline. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash date dateline for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Strike a pros. Pros, 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 pros. I like to join in so that you're getting like a little stereo action. An echo? Yeah, yeah. I think that works really well. Or an echo. <laughs> Kimberly, can you please enlighten me on why Monk Pack is so delicious and a perfect snack? I would love to. You know, the last time you bought a huge bag of sunflower seeds and a huge bag of sliced almonds with the best intentions of sprinkling them on salads and gave up after the first time because nuts and seeds are boring. Is that just me? Maybe. This is not like that. Monk Pack will save you from that. There we go. Monk Pack has flavors like sea salt, dark chocolate, caramel sea salt, and peanut butter dark chocolate, which is my favorite of their keto nut and seed bars, but they're all incredible. They really are. Yes. Like I could say the caramel sea salt is Joni's favorite, but has she stolen every single flavor from me at one time or another? Yeah. So they're all good. They're all delicious. Yeah, they are delicious. They're sweet and salty. They're crunchy and soft at the same time. It's that texture is like perfect. They are like the Katie's shaking her head, but like in a way that means I super agree with. I don't know how they do it. I don't. That's why she's shaking her head. She doesn't understand the technology behind it. I don't. No, no one does. It's magic. They are like bars from your childhood, but because they're low sugar, you don't fall asleep at your desk half an hour after eating them. Like 
I can have one as a boost before we start recording. And I can trust that because of the low sugar content, I won't fall asleep right as I'm describing the big twist or the couple's swinging lifestyle. No sugar crash for me. Or God forbid, Katie's doing the recap. No sugar crash. You got to stay awake. (laughs) Never fall asleep. Monk Pack Keto's Nut and Seed Bars contain one gram of sugar or less. How is that possible? Like, there must be a typo. Two to three grams of net carbs. They're only 150 calories. It's sorcery. Everything good. They are keto-friendly. Even if you're not doing keto and you're just trying to eat healthy, they're still perfect for you. They are gluten-free, plant-based, non-GMO, no soy, no trans fats, sugar, alcohols, artificial colors, nothing bad, all the good stuff. I signed up for a subscription pack. I think Katie has one too. And that way you save 10% on every order and you can get like all your favorite flavors. So you know that you have a, anytime you get like that hunger urge, there's a box right there. So you're good. Oh yeah. It makes eating healthier. Like you don't have to think about it. I just put them everywhere, every room sprinkled throughout. One in the shower. You never know. (laughs) Don't judge me. Try it for yourself and you'll see. And we have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code DATEDATELINE at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's back with the 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange your product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. Again, go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product and enter the code date dateline at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. Get your chipmunk on with monk pack cons. Like pecans? Monk pack keto, not in seed. Oh, sorry, we already have a tagline. There you go. (laughs) Thank you, Monk Pack Bars. Thank you, Monk Pack. Oh, so good. So good. Okay, back to our case. So it has been a few months since Marquez's murder. In case you forgot, Evan was not the one. He didn't do it. The guy from Colorado. Nope. He did that murder. He just didn't kill Marquesi. It wasn't the white supremacist. It was not. It was somebody we don't know yet. So after a few months, of course, the task force kind of starts to wind down, which makes me sad. I know. It's always sad. Like when a search party winds down. Ugh, so sad. It is. It's sad. And then there's those people just sort of waiting. The family is still there. No one else is there. Oh, hard. And there's like half drunken water bottles everywhere. Mm, It's not good. mm, Bad for the environment and my heart. But it's kind of good because everyone's starting to relax a little bit. Everybody was really, really on edge after this happened. And people are kind of starting to a little bit go back to their normal routines slowly. Even DA Mike McClelland. His stepdaughter, Christina, talks to Andrea about what kind of a guy Mike McClelland is. And at this point, we know that Mike McClelland might be in trouble because we're getting a full backstory on him a little bit more than we were before. And so I'm starting to sweat because I have not, unlike Kimberly, seen this case. And I already loved his chin and his cowboy hat. Right. So we had already grown attached. And sometimes it's hard to know who we need to be worried about. We knew that this two hour was not just going to be Mark Hassey. We knew that something was coming. So this is kind of telling us something 
going to happen. Anyways, Christina tells us that Mike married her mom when she was 10 years old, which is amazing because that means that she had a really good dad for 10 years, like a growing up when she was kind of little. She loved him as a stepdad. She said she was really lucky because their personalities were really similar. They're both straight shooters. So Andrea's doing a lot of gun puns in this. Interesting. Huh. I would never accuse Andrea of poor taste. She obviously has impeccable taste. I think it's very much on purpose because we're in Texas. I don't think it has anything to do with like what's happening in this case. I think this is purely a Texans love their guns type mentality, which in this episode is completely true. Fair enough. Christina also tells us that a little bit about Cynthia, her mom, again, about her being an amazing quilter and baker, but that also her and Mike were a really good match. He was pretty conservative and her mom was liberal. So instead of going at each other's throats, how does that work? They found a balance in that. And I said, good for them, exclamation point. We should all be so lucky. And that's amazing that that worked for them because that doesn't always work. But when it does, when it becomes a balance and not a fight, that's a good thing. It means they can respect each other's opinions. And I like that. So and hopefully each one influenced the other. And then the balance was there. I'll remind everyone, though, this was in 2008. It was, but they were married for 15 years, so it was working. And in every picture, they look so happy. It's nice to hear that. So Easter is fast approaching at this point, and the McClellans are planning a huge Easter dinner. The morning before, I think the Easter dinner is on Sunday night. So on Saturday morning, Leah Phillips is prepping for the dinner and is getting ready to drop off vegetables to Cynthia. And she texts her, hey, I've got your vegetables. What's going on? The Phillips are really close family friends. And so they are invited to this Easter dinner. I didn't know how big of a part Leah was going to play. It's apparently a big part. So I like Leah a lot. Actually, I like everyone, every interview we get in this episode. Yeah, there's no bad interview. No, not a one. Not a one. And so... Leah is texting Cynthia. She calls the house, calls the cell phone, is not hearing back at all. And so she decides that she's going to go over. I do need to make a quick side note at this point that Cynthia is portrayed as maybe the best party host ever because just for this Easter dinner, which isn't even a party, it's like, you know, Easter Sunday, she has Easter baskets for every person coming. And not just that, the Easter basket is like a hide-and-seek Easter basket, so she gives you clues, and you have to go around and find your Easter basket. This is for adults. I want to be there. I know, I and I bet the Easter dinner is amazing. Can a Jew be invited one time? Yes. Never gone to hunt, hunt for Easter eggs ever. I will do it. I'm going to send you an Easter basket this year. Thank you. But she was a great cook. Cynthia was a great cook, too. Like It sounds like everything she made was incredible. So probably in the Easter basket is like, packs of homemade cookies. You know it's amazing. And they're all wrapped with ribbon. Anyways, I just thought that was a really sweet detail and it makes us really like Cynthia, which is going to make this about a thousand times harder to talk about. So in the late afternoon, Leah's trying to get a hold of Cynthia, heads over because she's like, I'm just going to drop off my veggies. Forget it. I don't know what's going on. But really, She's actually kind of nervous. So she goes to the house to investigate. When she pulls up to the house, she knows something is immediately wrong because the newspaper is still in the yard and Cynthia's car is in the driveway. So 
She does the right thing. She does not go inside the house. She senses something is wrong and calls her son, CJ, who happens to be a cop in Dallas. And a cutie. And an adorably. Not for you. I have someone else picked out for you. Oh, okay. He's coming. But CJ, this is a good son to have in this situation. He tells her, mom, stay right where you are. Do not go inside the house. CJ picks up his dad and CJ and his dad drive to the house to meet Leah. So at the McClellan's, the door is unlocked. CJ walks in the door and says, there are shell casings. And Leah says at this point, her knees buckle and she just starts sobbing because why would there be shell casings inside someone's doorway? And that broke my heart. That was an awful image. CJ takes a few more steps. He can see in the living room and he sees Cynthia McClellan's deceased body in the living room, says, mom, you're going outside. Takes his mom immediately outside so she doesn't have to see her friend. And while he does this, his dad goes further into the house and sees Mike McClellan a little bit further, who has also been shot multiple times. He's also dead. So McClellans have been gunned down in their home very early the day before Easter. Very sad. Meanwhile, daughter Christina is also on her way to check on her mom because she's been calling too and hasn't heard anything. And gets to the house. Leah tells her what happened. And it's so sad. She says she kind of knew that they were dead. She's like, I, I knew something was wrong when she hadn't heard. And she asks Leah when she gets there, she just gets out of her car and says, is it both of them? And then Leah tells her, yes, that hurt too. That was hard. But the great thing about having CJ there first, CJ goes into super cop mode mm-hmm. and says, we're not calling 911. They're gone. The paramedics do not need to come in. They do not need to mess up this crime scene. Like that's just more footprints and stuff. And he also probably knows that 911 might leak it to the media, which I didn't think about, but I'm wondering if that's also what he's worried about. He doesn't say it though. So calls directly to the sheriff's office and make sure the right people can sweep this crime scene. He's very smart. Mm-hmm. I, I do like him a lot. And did I mention adorable? Like a little boy face a little bit, like kind of. So cute. Yeah. Looks like a cartoon almost. Yeah. So while purple tie, that's Toby. Toby's in the purple tie. Toby shook. He's having an Easter egg hunt, meanwhile, with his family and his partner in the yellow tie, again, Bill Worski, calls him and says, hey, the McClellans have been murdered. Take off your bunny suit. We got to get out to the house right now. <laughs> so Toby says when Bill drives up, his wife already had like guns out. Again, everyone's got guns in this episode. And he says, unless you know it's me coming through that front door, be ready to use them. This town is like on edge. On edge. This is like the edgiest I've ever seen. But as everyone in law enforcement, especially like. Yeah. They think there's a hit list out for sure. Yeah. This is the lead prosecutor and the district attorney now. Yeah. This is not good. So at the crime scene, everybody is there. FBI, Texas Rangers, even like these old timer Texas Rangers, like these famous people. And everyone's super shook up because if this is connected to the Mark Hasse murder, which it seems like it was, now another line had been crossed because it wasn't just Mike McClellan who was killed a family member was also killed. So his wife was also gunned down. So now it's everyone's like, our families are in danger. Mm -hmm. So Toby and Bill both assume that there are going to be more murders to follow. Meanwhile, who is Shannon Haybar? 
She is another lawyer who works with Mark and Mike at the office. Okay. A bear. A bear. Yeah. A bear. Shannon A bear. I like that last name. Yeah. It's like Herbert, but pronounced fancy. I tried to write it phonetically and it still confused me. So I did a great job. So Shannon Shannon gets a phone call late that night. And Shannon is our, like, she's interviewed throughout, but she's definitely our interview that's kind of like giving you the emotional toll that it took on everyone. She's that interview. She gives it throughout the whole story, narrating it from like the emotions point of view, which I kind of, they did an interesting job in sort of splitting up everyone's thing. And Shannon's kind of giving you the overall sense of the town and the office the whole time, which I like. I don't know. They did a good job with it. So she's saying she got a late night call that late night before Easter that the McClellans have been shot and she panicked. She's really scared. And while she's explaining her series of events here, we are getting the closest to a reenactment that I've seen in a long time because we have her like on her phone, right? In the dark, she's on her phone. And then we have when she's telling Andrea how scary it was and how everyone thought that they and their families might be next. We have her peeking out of her blinds. That was my favorite B-roll. She looks like a nosy neighbor. A little bit. What are they doing? Is that lady having an affair? What's, oh, that mailman, he delivered the real. But did you notice that it's like that? It's a little bit like a... It is because normally it's like, go about your business. Well, they normally they'll be like, so-and-so got a call and then you'll see them on the phone, but it's not like they're reenacting when they got the call. But this was like reenact that you're really scared peering out of your blinds, like on ID network. Yes. And then also she had said she got the call at night and then she's on the phone at night. They got a night shot of her in her car. I loved it. I was excited because we don't see it yeah. very much. So Andrea has a really good thought at this point and says that there's no way that Cynthia would have opened her front door to someone she didn't know. And that's correct. So this killer might be somebody that the McClellans knew or worse, this could be somebody that's impersonating a police officer. Don't, don't, don't. So now we get an interview with Texas Ranger Eric Casper, Kimberly's new boyfriend. Oh, yeah, I'll accept that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. He's very dry. He's very to the point. Mm -hmm. And he says something very important in about 30 seconds. He walks us through the schematics of the crime scene. And he tells us that the gun was that was used was an AR-15 automatic such and such. There were a lot of schematics on the guns. It's an AR-15 semi-automatic, I think is the most important. And that also the McClellans were clearly surprised. Their clothes were in a state of getting ready for the day because this happened really early in the morning. So at exactly 44 minutes and 13 seconds on the Peacock app, Mr. Eric Casper, Texas Ranger Esquire, tells us that Mike McClellan was also in a state of half-dress in Jogging pants <laughs> with no shirt on. How happy were you? They all laughed at me, Eric. <laughs> they all laughed at me. They said I was a fool, a weirdo, a cheese, and now <laughs> fully vindicated for my jogging pants weird lingo. Didn't you feel slightly more vindicated when the term joggers became so popular? It's, I don't, jogging pants is so dorky. <laughs> Joggers is a cool way to say jogging pants. 
It was the the most uncool way to say sweats. Right. (laughs) This is why you want him to be my boyfriend. No, I said that before I heard jogging pants. Okay. It's true. I had written that before. I didn't know. I didn't know jogging pants was coming. I hadn't remembered it. Jogging pants. Anyways, that's very exciting. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I didn't know that sweats or track pants, they're all jogging pants to me is what we call them in my house. It's not a huge deal, but it's real dorky. So anyways, vindication. You're getting between this and the peacock sound, you're getting vindicated all over the place. V is for vindication. There we go. V is for vendetta vindication. So right next to Mike's body, there are a bunch of shell casings, which means that the killer stood right over him and shot, which means it's brutal, number one, and personal, number two. But this was a really, really fast crime. The security company confirms that, and that's like, I guess, the front door security. This all took place starting at 6.40 a.m. and was two minutes. And Andrea says a really cool line right now. She says, 20 shots fired in 120 seconds. That's a title. That's a good title. That's the title, by the way. 120 seconds. seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Eric Casper, Texas Ranger, tells us that with this type of weapon, a semi-automatic, you should have easily been able to hear the shots from outside. But the cops interviewed the neighbors. Nobody heard anything. So as the news starts to get a hold of this story, tips start flowing into the command center again. And Crime Stoppers gets a tip late at night on Easter Sunday, so a day after the crime. And the tip says, do we have your full attention now? We. Do we have your full attention now? So all of a sudden, we know that it's multiple people. Is it the Aryan Brotherhood? I was really worried. I was like, oh my God. Now I'm more picturing the V for Vendetta, like scary mask. There you go. So Evan wasn't a red herring all along. Evan Abel, maybe he actually was involved. Maybe we have to go back to him. And then my joke won't make any sense, but it will be worth it to have solved this crime. So they write back, the investigators write back, you have our attention. They have to wait 24 hours and then they get another message. They give the exact specifications of the gun used on Mark Hassie. And no one but the killer would know that because I guess they didn't release that information to the press. Then they said, your act of good faith will result in no other attacks this week. But they demand that this one particular Kaufman County judge has to step down this week in order basically for them not to do anything. So because of this specificity, this tells investigators that the person that is writing this is local. And so this pretty much at this point tells them it's a group of people, but it's not drug cartels. It's not white supremacist groups or any connection to Dallas. I'm not sure how they're ruling out white supremacist groups because I feel like they're probably everywhere. I feel like maybe that judge that didn't prosecute any white supremacists. Like, it's such a tell. You're just giving away more information about yourself by pick, saying you have to get this judge has to step down because obviously this person has bad blood against this judge and that judge has a certain number of cases. So now you have three people who you have to see who they all have in common, you know? But it narrows the fields. Yeah. And if he doesn't step down, then he's, they're just going to beef up his security, right? You're going to get caught, right? What do you mean? Like if that judge, if they don't give in to the demand, 
then it also ups your chance of getting caught. Because if you're going after that judge, if he doesn't step down, he's obviously the attack. Right. He's not like a... No, he'll be the one of the next targets. Yeah, I don't know. It's... Hmm. So the message ends in, we are not unreasonable, but we will not be stopped. It's very spooky sounding. I kind of think killing three people might be considered unreasonable. Yeah. Not to split hairs. So maybe they're not that smart. Although this sounds very V for Vendetta-y. I think they're delusional. It thinks that they're being reasonable. Yeah, a little bit. Something like that. So now we have Shannon Abair comes into work in the morning after Easter Sunday, and she has an armed escort again. So now this is two times with like in the space of like three months that all these people's lives are being flipped upside down. A lot of the employees at the county office are starting to either at this point carry like conceal and carry or sleep with guns under their pillows. And we get them all interviewed together in like a gaggle, which is shocking. But that only that one time. I don't remember seeing them. Are they at the beginning as well? No, that's literally one shot of these six women. Two of them get to talk. And that's it. That was good for, they got to be on Dateline. They did, I'm sure. Yeah, that was good. So meanwhile, the investigators were going through surveillance footage near the McClellan crime scene, and they spot a white crown Victoria near the house in around the early morning hours around when the murder happened. No one owns a car like that in the neighborhood, but that car is a known police car or a car that police use. So is this cop? Probably not. The FBI combs through every police car in the neighborhood. Is the thin blue line a red herring? There we go. (laughs) I'm going to do it anytime there's a color. That's it. It's great. It's good. It's a solid joke. It's like a (laughs) solid A joke. It's a B. It's a B minus. B plus. Okay. B plus A minus joke. (laughs) Okay, so anyways, the police go through all of the police cars in the area to see at what time they're at, what location. Spoiler alert, it's not the police. There's no white crown Victorias that are police cars that are in the area at the time. They also go through any people that might have issues with both the prosecutor and the DA, and they come up with one person. But before I tell you who that one person is, because this gets into a whole thing, we're going to open a giant can of worms right now. Yeah. Tell me that there are cases out there that I can solve just like investigators in this case. Do you want to solve a mystery? I do. Really badly. Why did I say mystery? 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 It was like I had a trill to it. I don't know. It was dramatic. I like it. I'm going to tell you about a new, highly immersive audio mystery series called Echoes. Echoes. Mm. Echoes. Echoes. From Ravensburger, where players use a deck of illustrated cards and spine-tingling sound clues to complete a story and solve a mystery. Love it. One of these Echoes games is called The Dancer. The Dancer. That's pronounced Dancer. Thank you. On stage. Yeah, and it's the story of the ghost of a young girl who haunts a stately Scottish manor. That's why my accent's all over the place. I'm sorry, it's the goats of a young girl or the ghost? Ghost. Okay, not a goat. Basically, it's a ghost of a girl 
who used to dance in a Scottish manner. Got it. No goats. Got it. No goats, just a ghost. You have to solve the mystery and set this girl's spirit to rest. Because we all know if a mystery isn't solved, you're going to be haunted forever. Just ask Katie's house. Yeah. She knows. I do. One of these Echoes games is called The Cocktail. And our location is a New York speakeasy. Oh, it's a speakeasy, say. Where New York's underworlds meet to concoct their sinister plans, which I think is the kind of place where you have to say a phrase like bathtub gin at the door and then a bouncer like opens that little window in the door and then you go bathtub gin and then they're like, okay, you can come in. I think it's one of those kind of places. Like Fat Sam's Grand Slam, speakeasy. Why'd you get here, chat. Bugsy Malone fans. Bugsy Malone. Get back to me. I'm waiting for you. You're trying to solve in this game the mystery of the infamous mob boss, Cruel Steve. Does he have slick hair? Yeah, he definitely has slick hair, for sure. So what you do when you're playing, it's interactive. One person has to install the app on their phone, and then you use the camera to scan cards, and then audio clues play with each card. So it might be glass breaking or even conversations that play, so you feel like you're actually in the speakeasy. So it's an audio mystery game. Each game has six chapters and you solve one first, check the app to see if you're right. And then you have to put the chapters in order and then you solve like the big mystery. It sounds more complicated than it is, I think, because it's 14 and up, which means it is Kimber solvable, I think. Oh, I hope so. If I can't, I'm going to be really sad. But it sounds perfect for game night. It takes about an hour, which is like the perfect amount of time to play for up to six or a date night with two people or three, no judgment. Or you can even play by yourself, which is the perfect way to guarantee that you're the smartest one in the room. Echoes is available on Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, and even at local game stores. And it's only $9.99. So come on. Win, win, win. I guarantee you're going to spend 10 times that if you go to an actual speakeasy. Yeah. It, good luck finding one. Yeah. Do they exist anymore? Start knocking on random doors. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go into alleys and start knocking on doors. That's not cool. People don't like that. And that's how datelines happen. Stay home. Play Echoes instead. Perfect. Thank you, Echoes. We're so excited to play. Thank you so much. And speaking of puzzles, sometimes it feels like I have a puzzle in my brain. Oh, And sometimes the puzzle in my brain comes out on the outside. And when that starts to happen, it definitely was a sign that I could use some better help. Your brain is an enigma. It is. It's an enigma wrapped in a puzzle, but it's getting some help. BetterHelp can connect you with a counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient and easy to sign up. You can start communicating with a professional counselor in under 24 hours. BetterHelp helps assess your needs and they match you with your own licensed therapist. And if for some reason that person isn't working out for you, it's very easy and quick to change. You don't have to go through that awful experience of breaking up with a therapist. It's the worst. It's so awkward. It is. It makes it easy to do. You can send a message to your counselor at any time. I get extremely quick responses back. 
Also, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in a variety of topics. This could be depression, stress, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, anger, LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self-esteem, any issue that you're struggling with. I'm confident that BetterHelp can help match you with a counselor to help you. Everything that you share is confidential. They're extremely professional. It's affordable. And you can check out the testimonials that are posted daily on their site. If you don't want to take my word for it, a lot of people are getting a lot of help with BetterHelp. In fact, so many people are taking charge of their mental health that they have recruited additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier, healthier life today. So as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash dateline. Join over 1 million and 1 people <laughs> taking charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash date dateline for 10% off. We sure can all use... All of us a little better help. Thank you, better help. Thank you, better help. You're not just better. Oh, simply the best. (laughs) It's the truth. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about this person that the cops found that is at the intersection of Hassie and McClellan. There is one person standing there, and his name is Eric Williams. And he has a felony that's connected to both the prosecutor and the district attorney. Eric Williams was formerly a deputy sheriff and an attorney, but he was actually elected in 2010 to become the justice of the peace. What in the world are those duties? Putting on marriages. Is that it? No, there's probably a lot more. There is. I have no idea what they are. Probably a lot more important. But apparently it's an elected position, which I literally, please don't think that I'm stupid, but I had no idea that that was A, an elected position. Like I thought it was, I don't know. I think I thought it was a retired judge was the justice of the peace. Okay. They do officiate weddings. They can also issue arrest warrants, deal with traffic offenses and hold inquests. Basically they deal with the lowest of the state courts. So they deal with like minor civil issues and petty criminal cases, usually misdemeanors. Not that it's not still impressive to be a justice of the peace, but you're not dealing with like the biggest cases. But you do have the biggest duty in the world, which is someone's marriage, putting joining two people in holy matrimony. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's the thing. Only you and captains on boats And people who submit a form online can do that. You, boat captains, and RuPaul can do that. And that's it. Yeah. So Eric is also a member of Mensa. Smarty pants. How do you get to be a member of Mensa? That's my next question. How do you apply? You apply. You probably have to take a test or submit some sort of records, but you apply. I'm never doing that. That's just going to be depressing. I would not recommend people do that unless you're really sure. Well, if you're sure, yeah. If you're sure, do you really need the paper then? Do you need that certification? Maybe. I don't know. That's a great point. Got to be happy within first. Yeah. I don't know. It's rough. It just makes me think of Peggy Hill in that episode when she thinks she's a genius and then Jimmy's there. It's Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. Awful. I hate that episode. Anyways, Eric Williams is a member of Mensa. He's also married. 
they do not have children, he and his wife. But he is actually, he was a very strong child advocate as Justice of the Peace and worked really passionately on child abuse cases. So he was kind of the local go-to guy for family law, according to Shannon, our interview. So we meet Tara briefly, who's Eric's sister said he was a great uncle, driven and ambitious, former member of the National Guard. So it was really a surprise when a year before the murders, he got caught stealing computer monitors from the county IT department. So random, like not even computers, just the monitors. I went back several times to make sure it was the monitors. And Andrea's like, monitors? Go buy a monitor, man. Like monitors are not like... He's making decent money. I feel like you could find one on Craigslist for really cheap. The computers would expense it. It's very strange. Okay. So in his police interrogation, because they do call him in because he's caught on video stealing these monitors, we see it. He says to the police that he needed new equipment for his office, but never got it. And they say, did you put in a written request? No, no, I never did any of that. Yeah, I don't, I can't do paperwork because I don't have a monitor for it. You literally just told Larry and was like, Larry, I need a new monitor. And it like an hour went by. And so you went and took it. That's basically what we're looking at. Wow. (laughs) Larry didn't get back to me. So because he's an actual judge to prosecute this case, Mike McClellan, the DA himself, actually teamed up with Mark for the trial. So they prosecuted together. Right. And he is found guilty by a jury. Sounds like they really did go after him. Why they took this so far for monitors is a question mark for me. I feel like there was other stuff here that we're not hearing about. It is. I felt very strange to me because I feel like, I mean, are you guys trying to tell me that in like Los Angeles, well, Los Angeles County is probably super corrupt, but like in another county, let's say, and a very well-respected family court lawyer then uh, justice of the peace, former army guard, form, you know, like really well-respected guy takes home three monitors and you're not going to let that slide with like a warning that I can't. And they literally like prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law, literally. So something else happened here. Something else happened, but like, did they just not like him or was, were there other, they don't, Dateline says he was well-respected, well-liked, no other things were going on with him, nothing else weird going on that they were trying to get rid of him for another reason. They didn't say that, but they did not say it. Well, Shannon tells us that. She does. I don't know. It's very strange. This could use a little more digging. That I'm curious about this because I feel like there's something happening or literally Mike McClellan and Mark Hassey just didn't like the guy. Yeah. Or were extreme sticklers for the law. I mean, he did. A monitor? But I don't even feel like that would necessarily get you fired from some jobs because he's the one at the beginning that I mentioned that was caught stealing office supplies. Office supplies kind of makes it sound like it was like binder clips or staples or chads or something, but it was three monitors. That's pretty big. And probably it would get you fired from like a regular office. But in this situation with this level of guy who had such an outstanding reputation and in usually in these situations, these kind of guys look out for each other and would sweep things under the rug. It was shocking to me. It seems like the kind of thing where they'd be like, hey, Eric, can you bring those monitors back? We have you on camera. 
We won't say it yet. Literally, he's on camera carrying them down the hall. We won't say anything. Just bring him back. And could it be that they were putting him on blast to send a message like a lot of people were stealing, like, I don't know, mouses and like keyboards? I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. He was being set an example or something. But you're setting an example with a justice of the peace? It seems very strange, but they did fully... They fully prosecuted him. He was found guilty. He only gets probation because it's computer monitors, but he loses his job. And then he also loses his ability to practice law. He loses his law license. But didn't you say he had a felony? They said it's a felony. I think it's a felony to steal from the government. He technically has a government job. Interesting. So they went that far. Wow. Questions. Okay. Anyways. The most important thing happens now because we get to see Williams not in an interrogation video. (laughs) Some local news reporters caught wind that... (laughs) This is my favorite part. That Eric Williams, he's our suspect du jour. So the media goes after him and he is being interviewed in Oakley sunglasses that wrap around in the middle of a residential street on a souped up Segway. Like Joe Bluth. The final countdown. They're illusions, Michael. What? And they keep showing B-roll of him zipping up and down the street on the Segway. Every five minutes so you don't... (laughs) So was that shade? They show him on the Segway. It was local news shade. That local news team was like, keep getting him on the Segway. And then it's Dateline shade for keep putting it in. Listen, and he's so proud of it. Like he... This is his thing. It's souped up. There's like compartments on it. It has those really thick wheels too. So it's like super high off the ground. I might be too big for my britches now because the FBI agent said jogging pants. So now I think maybe I'm cool again. Right. A Segway is dorky. No, it's super dorky. There's something about it. Especially on the news and you're being looked at for like as a murderer and you're like on a Segway. And then he's on the Segway and he's like, I had nothing to do with this. And I feel really sorry for the families. They were good guys who work for the government. Take off your sunglasses. Get off the Segway. You're talking about murder victims. Get off the Segway. Yeah, it feels like you're not taking this seriously. (laughs) Did he say something too when he needed to leave? Was he like, oh, got to get my wheels. (laughs) Got a motor. Motor. Got to get my ride. Best beat, scooting. Oof, we see it. We see it happening. And But honestly, his interview, he seems like very genuine in his kind of outrage and concern that these men of the law were gunned down. But I don't know. It's strange. But then you have the contrast with the segue. So we don't know what to think. Maybe that's what it is. It's a distractionary technique. They won't notice if I have real tears in my eyes because I'm standing on a freaking segue. They won't. It's It worked. Yeah. They won't mm-hmm. notice. So Eric's alibi at the time of the McClellan murder was that he was caring for his wife at his in-laws down the street. Also, when the police come to see him for the first time, he has his arm in a sling and he says that he has something called frozen shoulder. Let it go, Eric. <laughs> He also doesn't own a Crown Vic. Frozen shoulder is worse than a cold shoulder. It doesn't sound real. Giving someone the cold shoulder. Is it literally just that you are you can't move it? I don't know, Katie, but I'm going to give you the frozen shoulder from now on. And that's new? I'm just kidding. So <laughs> anyways. Before it was a cold shoulder. Now it's a frozen. Don't ice me out. So he <laughs> is lawyered up really fast. 
And he isn't talking because he lawyered up because he was a lawyer. He knows what to do. But weirdly, two weeks after the murder happens, Bill and Toby in our multicolored ties get emails saying that he is actually no longer being represented by those lawyers. They've left him. So for a short period of time, he's in between lawyers and they really quit get someone over to talk to him. Seems strange that a former justice of the peace would not be constantly lawyered up. This seems really odd to me. Seems like there's like stuff happening behind the scenes. But anyways, so they send in some bigwig Texas Rangers because they say that he, Eric Williams, has such a big ego. He won't talk to anybody unless he thinks they're on his level. He's Mensa, right? Mm. I know. They go in with hidden tape recorders and William tells them, I only own one gun when they start talking about guns because he says that he's had to sell off his big gun collection over the past two years because he's needed to make money because he hasn't had a job. He can't lawyer. He lets them look around his house a little bit. And the Rangers do find some very specific gun parts that are used for an automatic weapon. The investigators, meanwhile, while they're in there talking, apparently are looking into his internet search history. So they must have gotten some sort of warrant to look at his computer. And they say that he had actually searched for information on both Hassey and McClellan before their deaths. And he had previously told the investigators that he'd never looked him up. Basically, he lied. He lied about researching Hassey and McClellan and they found the automatic gun parts. So the police are able to get a warrant for like the full search warrant of the property. And this is when like everybody swoops in, FBI, everybody. And in his garage, surrounded by an ungodly number of empty Coke and Diet Coke two liter bottles, (laughs) they find a filing cabinet almost hidden because of the bottles. And inside the filing cabinet, there is a Crown Vic manual and a title to a Crown Vic. He had filed the title under a fake name. So boom, that's it. Boom. Yes. Also, don't hide the car, but keep the manual. Who even keeps the manual anyways? Or are you keeping it in the glove box of the car? Right? Am I wrong? Who keeps the manual separately from the car? Really? Weird. Do you need it that bad? Throw it away. I mean, I just have mine in my glove box, but I probably don't need to. I'm sure it's online now. Every time it goes in the glove box. It's very strange. So then near the computer on a scrap of paper, they find a series of handwritten numbers and letters. Also, a big clue on this is it says tipsubmit.com <laughs> written down by the numbers and letters. For a lawyer, Judge Mensa. Mensa. He doesn't know enough to not leave these papers around. He didn't know that he maybe should delete his search history or go to a library to search those things. It's not that smart. I think it's safe to say that the Mensa thing is a stretch. So the series of numbers and letters turns out to be the tip that made the demands that said, if you don't, yeah, if this judge doesn't step down, I'm going to kill someone else. Do we have your attention yet? Yeah. And then gave them make and model of the gun. Do you like scary movies? The one that sounded all scary like that. Mark Hassey. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's exactly like that. So that's it. That's enough. They can arrest him. They arrest him for making a terrorist threat against a judge, which seems smart. Basically, they're trying to get him off the street. They're worried they don't quite have enough to charge him with the murders at this point. So they're just trying to get him off the street because he's pretty dangerous, I would say. 
Segway of doom. So after <laughs> the arrest, Bill and Toby are tied up investigators, get a tip from someone who claims that they rented Eric Williams a storage unit. So back again, Dr. Reverend Eric Casper, Texas Ranger, races for the storage unit. And he gets to do the honors of doing the click, 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 the metal door. And there it is inside the storage unit rented by Eric Williams, the Crown Vic. Not only is the Crown Vic in the storage unit, there are police uniforms and badges, police garb, thousands of rounds of ammo and like a bazillion guns. So many guns. But I thought he only owned one gun. No, Kimberly. He was lying. But he's a genius. Don't forget. Just in case you forgot. I forgot. So all the guns and the bullets are sent to the lab for testing. Also in the storage unit, one really, really weird thing, a bag filled with pickle jars. But they're not pickles in the jars. It's what appears to be homemade napalm. What? Jesus. The what? Okay, cool. Which we find out much later what it was supposed to be used for. It's like terrifying. Really not great. Terrifying. And also like the jars have a little person, like a little girl's face smiling on them. So all a mess. They're not Clausen's or Vlasic. They're like a little brand with a smiley girl. I don't know what's happening. Brands unhappy being associated with Dateline is for sure that pickle company. Whatever that, yeah. Yeah. Minnie's Pickles or whatever they are. So we have really bad news from the lab, though, because none of those guns came back as a match for the murder weapon. I have no idea how that's possible, but it is because there's so many guns. Mm -hmm. But the investigators believe that they have enough to charge him anyway. I mean, I think the Crown Vic is enough. He's charged with three counts of capital murder. But in a strange twist, in the first trial, Apparently, they're going to charge him separately for all three. They only bring the charges for Cynthia McClellan. I don't know why they do this. They are worried that if they mess something up, if there's like a jury tainted pool, anything that goes wrong that can be appealed, that they lose for some reason, they can still get him on two other murders. So that's why they're doing each murder separately. Okay. They want it that badly and they can afford because it's such big, big profile people, they don't mind spending the money on doing three different murder trials. I think they're also thinking if they get him for the first one, they won't need to do the other two trials. Also, Eric Williams has dimples. I should say that because in court, it's difficult to take him seriously. They keep showing the side of him and he's kind of moving his mouth. But every time he moves, he has dimples. So it almost looks like he's smiling. But d- from the back. Yeah. Did you see what was happy with his hair? It's like almost a rat tail, but it's a thick poof about one and a half to two inches long. Oh, yeah. He needs a haircut. That's what you mean. But it's only on the side. I took a screen grab. It's very bizarre. Weird. I looked at the back of his head a lot. I don't think I noticed. That's odd, huh? I looked like at one point that he had a duck tail. Well, when he's sitting down, it looks like it's in the back of his head. But when he stands up, it's totally askew. Hmm. Okay. I'm curious. So in court. While they don't have the murder weapon, prosecution does actually have a bullet from the storage unit that exactly matches the shell casing found at the McClellan crime scene. Thus, continuing my questions about bullet matching, I really don't think I understand what's happening here. That's okay. I'm going to hear from so many forensic people. I understand what they're saying, but they keep saying live ammunition, and I'm not, I'm questionable on that term, I think. So we'll move on because we just don't know. But this seems to be a big deal, this matching of the bullet. But they also have video surveillance from the storage unit that shows the White Crown Vic leaving the storage unit at 6.12 a.m. 
and returning at 7 a.m. I mean, that's it. 6.42 is when the murders of the McClellans happen. It's pretty condemning. But the defense really hits back hard on that bullet and goes after the witnesses like that this could be any bullet, kind of what I'm saying, that it's not enough of a match. And they call no witnesses because they think that the prosecution hasn't proven their case. You would think that a Mensa attorney would have a better <laughs> lawyer, right? Yeah. Unless he just had no money. I don't know. That's a good, he didn't. He had lost his job and he had fired his other lawyer. He sounds like Tom Randolph, who just has like a million lawyers because he thinks he's better than all of them. Yeah, he does. That's exactly what he sounds like. But the jury does not care what the defense says about the bullet. They take 90 minutes and he's guilty. 90 minutes. Texas justice, y'all. So in a twist of irony, we find out right now that Mike McClellan actually thought that the person who shot Mark Hassey all along was Eric Williams, which is so awful to find out. It drove me crazy. He was a suspect really early on. And Mike McClellan told Bill Worski all the time, it was like, this is the guy. This is the guy. But there was just no evidence. And a small motive, like it's the monitors, but he did lose his job over the monitors. So maybe it is a big motive. And I mean, the DA stepped down from his kind of high place to do the trial of to prosecute him personally, personally prosecuted by the DA. That's rough, right? So he tried to go with his gut and no one would listen to him or but there was just no evidence. Yeah. So there's what could they do? But now this jury has another job to do because this is Texas. So now they need to decide if Eric Williams is going to get the death penalty. So the prosecution has a surprise special witness right now for the death penalty portion. I was shocked. Eric hadn't acted alone, if you guys remember, from 55 minutes ago when Kimberly told us that he got into a getaway car and he was the passenger, not the driver. So there's definitely somebody helping him out, at least with the Marcassi murder. And it was his wife, Kim. Remember how 45 minutes ago I told you he was married? Yeah, <laughs> he's married, Kim. And she has long flowing hair. In the picture now. It's still long. She doesn't have her pros. She doesn't have her pros now. Yeah. No, no, she doesn't. We understand. Can't get pros in prison. No, no. Man. The cops knew that Kim was involved and they had sort of figured out that she was the driver. So they bring her in after he's arrested and they do a real heavy interrogation on her and she eventually cracks. So at trial, she says they actually did a dress rehearsal the night before the McClellan murder. It was really creepy. He like got dressed up and was like, hey, does this look convincing enough? It just Buffalo Bill creeped me out. She says he was modeling it for <laughs> modeling it. Yeah, that's really creepy. Blah. Like doing a catwalk. <laughs> I do not like it. It looked a lot like a SWAT outfit. It's not good. So the next morning before they went, when they went to the McClellans, she was in the car, I think also dressed in police uniform. She was just the lookout and she was supposed to honk the horn if something was happening or someone was coming. And she tells the court that Cynthia was just collateral damage in the crime. He was after Mike McClellan. And Eric had used the term collateral damage, which is really gross. Because she would have seen him. And so she had to go. Oh, yeah, because she would have been a witness. So he was really, really mad at Mark Hassey and Mike McClelland, and he was sure that they were trying to, quote, set him up, is what he thought, which is kind of what it sounds like. 
We don't know all the details. It is kind of what we were saying. Like, it would seem more. What if vendetta is like a double meaning and like they almost had a vendetta against him? I don't think so. I think they just made an example about him and he just was the wrong one because they didn't know that he was a psychopath. He's bonkers. They didn't know that he like had he was going to snap. They didn't know. So Kim Eric Williams wife says that his anger was her anger. So when they drove away from the courthouse after the Hassey murder, they were both happy. It's really creepy that the prosecutor says, how did he seem after the murder? She goes, happy. He goes, and how were you? And she said, happy. It's so gross. It's really creepy. So like just normal, stating everything. Like no emotion. We were happy. We were in good moods. Yeah. It's really not okay. So after the McClellan murder, they went home and had celebratory steaks. They were so happy. Wow. It's Uh. really bad. She also helped her husband dispose of evidence. She drove him to a bridge and they dropped a bag into the lake. And inside the bag, by the way, what did they say they did? They'd combed the lake for six months. Something crazy. It took them forever to find this bag. Something crazy. Like a few. Yeah. Yeah. And the bag had two revolvers in it. And one of them was the revolver that shot Mark Hassey. I don't think they found the weapon that shot the McClellans. Yeah, I don't think so either, because they just really specified that it was the one that shot Mark. Yeah, because it was this revolver. But the bag actually wasn't a bag at all. The bag that was dropped in the lake, it was an a Halloween mask that was like the hooded sweatshirt that people saw was actually like a hood that you put over yourself with a screen in front of it. Yeah, like veil material, black veil material in the front panel. And then the rest is like just black fabric. But you could see through it, right? You could see his face. You could when it was like the white mask that they had underneath. But in broad daylight, I don't know. Didn't seem like a disguise. No one saw it. Maybe it was to mess up cameras. I don't know. It didn't seem to be disguising him. Maybe he put on blackface underneath the veil. (gasps) No. But it also seemed like Mark Hassey knew who he was. Remember? Because he said, no, no. His final words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, no, no, I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry for what? But he had, I think they were shoving, like he was saying things to Mark. So Mark probably recognized his voice too. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So Kim Williams also tells the court that this someone else was next on the list and it was another judge. And I think it might've been the same judge asked to step down, but this judge had apparently also done Eric wrong and he had a very special way to kill him. And this is awful. He was going to shoot him with a crossbow in the stomach and then pour that creepy homemade napalm into the wound. That's so horrible. What is wrong with him? Severely mental, like not Menza, mental. Just a few letters off. Kim Williams, by the way, was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Not enough, but still probably will be enough. Now, Christina, the daughter, gets on the stand. Christina, the McClellan's daughter, gets on the stand. And you think she's going to give a big old witness statement? No. She basically just says, I just want to say F you to Eric Williams. But she says the word. Yeah, it's so good. She does. She says it and she goes, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. Yeah. And Andrea's like, how did it feel? She's like, it felt pretty good. 
but I would have preferred to sock him in the face. That was, she's very honest. That's what I'm going to do. I've decided, instead of giving this big eloquent speech, I will be like, F you. That's all you need to say. You're going to Pam it from the office. She wants to hit Michael Scott. Yeah. Oh, that's. What would make you feel better? You hit me? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I want to hit you. Hard. Judge, instead of giving a victim impact statement, can I just punch him once in the face? Yeah. There you go. The defense calls dozens of character witnesses, like high school friends, his old scoutmaster, which seems creepy. (laughs) To be like what he was a great Boy Scout 40 years ago. He couldn't have killed someone now as an adult. The guy on the stand is like, he's a really smart kid. Come on, man. Yeah, it's real weird. So the jury gives him the death penalty, death by lethal injection. He is not ever tried for the other two murders because they got the death penalty decision for him right there. We get a very last minute interview with the other young gun. And he says that he thinks Eric is actually a serious threat to people in prison and the prison guards because that's how creepy smart he is and dangerous. Like he'll just stop at nothing. And I was like, Wow. And he was not even just done with the judge. Like, didn't they tell our two tied guys that he they had been he had been Googling them, too? Yes. It's crazy. Like he was going after everybody. And maybe he is he's going to develop some resentment towards prison guards. He's going to develop some resentment towards the the cook and the person who sorts the mail and the people who hands out the commissary. Well, everyone's going to have done him wrong somehow. I think he's also, unfortunately, one of those people that just loves to have a persecution complex. Yeah. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. Also, his appeal got denied, by the way. Outside information. Yeah, he did appeal. It's denied. Okay, now we get the best part of the whole thing. Best part in the whole thing. So good. Almost better than the segue. Do you want to tell? You tell. No, you tell. It's happy. Okay. This is such happy news. At the end, we hear throughout that Christina had like told her, like her mom had always wanted to set her up with someone and set her up with people. We don't find out who it is, but we find out at this very end part that Christina and CJ, Leah, the woman who came and found the McClellan's bodies, her son, CJ, the cop from Dallas, he and Christina are together. They got married. So cute. And I had a crush on him, but I was okay with it because it was so cute. They met that, like, I think that was the day they met. No, they were family friends. It said they were family friends and the mom had always wanted to set them up. Cynthia had always wanted, Cynthia McClellan had always wanted. She was like, do you believe in arranged marriages? Like wanted them to be together. And then they eventually did and got married and are super happy. So cute together forever and then to part yeah they did it it was great this was an amazing case it was so epic like but not that long it didn't like span years it was just really convoluted i love a love story too at the end me too it made it all the better what do you have for b-roll bonanza besides horses because that's the best part wild horses we get horses in the b-roll it's amazing so we had cows and horses. We had cows? But the houses were the stars because, did I say the houses were the stars? Yeah. Meant to say horses. So the daughter 
Christina is feeding. First of all, she's petting the horse and then the horse like leans towards the camera. So the horse's face, mm-hmm. including the close-up of the giant eye and the fur fill up the entire screen for a second. So it's like, wow, we're so close to that horse. And then later she's feeding the horse carrots and the horse eats the carrot right at the camera. And I was like, good for that horse. Body positivity. You shouldn't be afraid to eat on camera, Kimberly. That's great. Take a lesson from that horse. That horse wants screen time. Yeah. He's going to be a star. The jury box had TVs in it. So every row of seats had TVs in front of the seat. So it'd be like one TV in front of every three seats. So like an airline row would be sharing a TV. So I think that's for like video evidence maybe, but I would be staring at it the whole time, even when it's turned off, thinking Bob's Burgers is not on this TV. No, you'd be into it. You'd be, are you kidding if you were on a jury? What if I was at like a traffic court case? I still kind of feel like you'd be into it. I don't know. Some cases are really boring. Do you think that they scan like actual paper evidence so that then you can like maybe it's a touch screen so that you can see the evidence up close without touching it? That's interesting. Because maybe they've had jury members who think they're going to open the bag and get in there. That's a good point. Or at least so you could see it closer. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's interesting. Could be that. But this had a lot of surveillance. Do they have a camera right on the stand? so that you can see really close up the person that's testifying if they have real tears. No, That's pretty much it. We see them lowering the flag and people kind of standing on the street with their hands over their hearts like they're doing the Pledge of Allegiance. I thought it was very sweet. We also get the most beautiful shot. They show it a few times at at the McClellan's funeral. It's so Texas because it's all of these like kind of generations of people hugging in this massive group hug. And it's all of these men in Wranglers tucked in with white button downs. There's like multiple people in the same outfits. I'm guessing they're the pallbearers. Yeah. With white Stetsons. So the white big hats. It's such like a Texas sight of a bunch of cowboy hats all hugging in it circle. Yeah. It was sweet. Also, they do show Eric Williams with the Pomeranian and I don't like it. I did not enjoy that. No, I don't think we should ever see a killer with a dog photo. Or a Segway. Or, well, no, the Segway is good because it allows us to mock him even further. But if we see them with a dog, then we're like, uh, he was allowed animals. What, did he have a heart? Are we supposed to think he had a heart? I like people who are dog people, but It's confusing. He was a children's advocate. That's true. It's very confusing. It's wild to me. Okay, quick thing. You know how when Jeffrey Dahmer, the apartment building that he lived in, I think it was Dahmer, when it went up for auction, uh, sort of a wealthy businessman bought it and burned it to the ground? No, I did not know that. That's fascinating. I don't know very much about Dahmer. I think it's, it's happened in a few different cases. And I'm pretty sure it was Dahmer that that happened with. Did they do that to the segue? Yeah, I think that they should. Did they set it on fire? Yeah, probably. In the middle of the town, like in the town square. Like on a, po- yeah, a podium with a Segway with a podium on top of it. It's like a double podium. Yeah. Do you think Kim hated the Segway and was like, he only cares about the Segway? I mean, the fact that she said like his anger was my anger and he, I believed in him. So maybe she thought the Segway was sexy. Did it have a sexy name? Was it like... Jasmine. Was it a girl? Probably. I mean, cars are usually girls, right? So maybe a Segway is usually a girl. I was thinking he'd name it more like Maverick. Air Force One. 
<laughs> Air Force, no, but Air Force and like whatever his lucky number was. Right. Air Force seven, because it's lucky number seven. And he told everyone and he probably had like a decal. Oh my God. Okay. Anyways, do you have titles? Oh, I did have alternative theory. Yes. I don't think they did it, but can we pin something on the white supremacists? Like a traffic stop or something. Let's get them for something. How about we get them on the fact that they're white supremacists? That's enough. I don't think we need anything else. That just that fact, that's that'll do it. Yeah, that's probably enough. I don't know if that's a crime in and of itself, though, sadly. It's a crime of the heart. It is. I do have some titles. I have a lot of titles, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. I only have two, so. Okay. But you, who wants to go first? Well, you have lots. Go. And I'm sure they're good. Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure. There we go. Monitoring the clues. Something with monitor. Monitoring. I'm sorry. Is it Tony or Toby? I, I think it's Toby. Sorry. It's Toby. Bill and Toby's Excellent Adventure. Perfect. I wrote it down while you were talking. While you, when you said their names. I was like, oh, just like you do when I'm doing the recap. Oh, I love it. That makes me happy. Okay. Full circle. Justice of war, not peace. Okay, I'll do mine. What about justice of the piece of trash? (laughs) That's perfect. The one where it shockingly wasn't the actual Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know that. We don't know that. We don't know that he wasn't a Nazi. That's true. Great point. They didn't find any memorabilia at his house. That we know of. We don't know everything they found. That's true. Frozen shoulder, frozen heart. There we go. My final one. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. The Segway Sniper. I know he wasn't actually a sniper, but it's not as good as the subway shooter. Segway shooter. Segway shooter. Segway shooter is okay. But Segway sniper sounds better. Segway sniper is really good. I wonder if that was the name around. No, because they didn't know it was him. But that is good. I had a perfect segue to murder. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. What about, wait a minute. What about frozen shoulder fiery rage? Something like, do you know what I'm saying? Like the hot and cold. Oh, I like that. Yeah, like fire and ice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Frozen shoulder. Yeah. It's, we're going to get a thousand people that are like, I had frozen shoulder for six months. It's so painful. I am really sorry. I'm not trying to downplay any kind of ailment only because it's attached to this guy who's a real piece of trash. Yeah. It's awful. He's a justice of the piece of trash. What happened here? We'll never know. He had to always be crazy or he just snapped. I don't know. People seem to like him. But I feel like his wife is crazy too, that she went along with this, enthusiastically went along with all this. Yeah, I don't get it. I I don't really understand what happened here. This seems like like the snapping above all snapping. Yeah. Right? Where it's just like that screw that was always like, just fell out and then everything just fell apart in the brain. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I have to kill these people. Yeah. And keep on killing people that have wronged me. This was like a gateway drug. He didn't kill anyone that he helped in court with that was like a child abuser. Like none of those people he went after. Right. That when he was in child court. Which means that it's all about him, right? These people wronged me. That like persecution thing I was talking about where it's like, no, it's that's them. This is about me. They they hurt me. Oh, brother. Mm -hmm. Okay, but anyways, his appeals failed. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know how often they actually execute people in Texas. He's still alive. As far as I could see. But I didn't look that hard. Well, 
Yeah, it wasn't good. I don't know. Segway. <laughs> He's on a Segway. I hope they aired this dateline in prison so that everyone in prison could make fun of his Segway. We think he thought it was like the coolest thing, right? He seemed to think he was an amazing he did because he was doing loops. He was doing laps up and down the street in front of the news cameras. And looking back over his shoulder, like he was in Teen Vogue. Did you see how fast I went, Mom? Like, it's really weird. Like model shots. Ooh, I went over a pebble. That was exciting. Wow, it's bad. You know what? He is a little bit like Dwight Schrute, deputy sheriff. Yeah. At one point, worked his way up and then did something and then got caught for it. He was an army guy. Like, he wasn't he in um, a rain or marsh? The reserve. He's like Gareth. He's the British office. Yeah, he's, he is. Very regimented until he snaps. And also, these people seem to know he was in Mensa. You don't know someone's in Mensa unless they're telling you they're in Mensa, right? Or if you have a plaque up very prominently displayed in your office, which you know he had a printout displayed. Peggy Hill. You know he did. Yes. The frame certificate. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Great recap, Katie. Such a good job. No. Yes, that was so good. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This is a very interesting case. I like these really intricate cases. They're fun. It was great. Next up, Jeffrey Dahmer. Just kidding. <laughs> I need to learn. I don't know anything. Casey Anthony, the whole thing, beginning to end. Oh, that I know a lot about. Come on, let's do it. It's time. I'm totally into it. Follow us on social media. Check out our Patreon. Stay fresh cheese bags and be your own Bugatti. Yay. Thanks, everybody. We're getting so many catchphrases. It's going to be like a 20-minute thing signing off. So many. Bye. Bye.